Hi, and welcome to the Silver Screen Queens podcast. Every week we watch a movie and sit down here to talk about it. I'm Mel. I'm Katie. And we're your hosts. This week we watched The Empire Strikes Back, a.k.a. Star Wars Episode Five: The Empire Strikes Back. It was released in 19... 19- 1980, and directed by Irvin Kirshner. We watched, for those who care about such things, the 1997 re-release version. I would normally at this point give a plot summary, um, but instead I'm going to read the scroll that comes up at the start because Katie said to me while we were watching it something about me not paying attention, and I totally did, and now I can recite it. Uh Mm Uh-huh. Sure, and it's not just written down in front of you. Yes, that's completely (laughs) true. I've memorized it. No. However, it is a dark time for the rebellion. Although the Death Star has been destroyed, Imperial troops have driven the rebel forces from their hidden base and pursued them across the galaxy. Evading the dreaded Imperial Starfleet, a group of freedom fighters led by Luke Skywalker has established a new secret base on the remote ice world of Hoth. The evil Lord Darth Vader, obsessed with finding young Skywalker, has dispatched thousands of remote probes into the far reaches of space. Etc. Etc. Yeah, basically, this is the sequel to Star Wars, which we did a few weeks ago because um, I've never been that into Star Wars and we decided we should have a rewatch. And this one pretty much picks off, picks up where the last one left off. It's a couple of years later, I think. Yeah. We start on Hoth, which is the ice planet, um, which if you're like me, you will remember, is where Captain Kirk ran into Spock Prime. <laughs> yeah. Mm, um, that with one. the Cloverfield monster. Yeah, yeah. that one. Um, on Hoth, yeah. It's also the scene where they make up that storyline to explain away the facial changes of Mark Hamill following his accident between the two movies. Yeah, poor guy, though. That's, but, you know. Yeah, I know. I mean, it's fine, but I just, I just sort of like that they sort of wrote that in there, and it's maybe my favorite sequence of the movie. I love all that Hoth stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, I find it more interesting than most of the rest of the stuff in the movie. It's so, so pretty. Like this is the prettiest Star Wars movie easily. The colors are really, really vibrant. The contrast is all the way up. There's teal and orange everywhere you look, and it's all got different color schemes and, and uh, you know, every shot of Darth Vader is almost in black and white. It's just in shades of black and white, mm. like his big egg thing that he sits inside and uh, the scene where he's talking to the Emperor and the, it's just like black with shiny lights on it. It's mm. so cool. And I could go on forever. The, uh, the cinematographer was a guy called Sushitsky. You just look this up. You looked it up especially and you can't remember. I do remember. It's Sushitsky. I just can't remember okay. his first name. It's oh, like okay. David or Daniel or John or something. Anyway. You know, one of those really, really common names. Yes. He, <laughs> but he was did the, a good job. Yeah. And it's, it's, and Irvin Kirshner, of course, who directed it and also wrote this. No, Lawrence Kasdan wrote the screenplay. Correct. And it's a much better screenplay in terms of a lot of the dialogue and the the quotes and things than than some of the other ones. But I don't know. Everybody else always says Empire Strikes Back is the best this, Star Wars movie. This is every fanboy's favorite movie, yeah. And I like Star Wars better. Mm, I have to say I probably agree. Although, I mean, I don't know. Maybe I was watching this a little bit tired or something, but I certainly wasn't quite as engaged with it as I was with Star Wars. I, I really, still really enjoyed it and had a lot of fun watching it. But, um, yeah, I'm, I'm maybe not the person who says, 
this is the best of them or this is my favourite, the way I know a lot of people do. There's something about both Star Wars and Star Trek, um, Mm. the 2009 Star Trek, which we love, Mm -hmm. that there's this amazing pacing that both of them have that I'm sure J.J. Abrams got from Star Wars and put into Star Trek. Uh, Mm. But it's it's this – they both have this ability to be absolutely engaging for every minute of the runtime. Like there isn't a time when you get bored and tune out and don't pay attention. Both of those movies are perfectly paced action movies so that you are on the ball the whole time. Mm. And this one has a middle section that kind of lags to me. Like there's a very long section in the middle where, uh, where Luke is training on Dagobah and it's all very metaphorical and occasionally not so metaphorical and more brick in your facical. Mm. Uh, and Yoda has some great lines. And Yoda does have some great lines. And then, but it is it is a training montage. And then it's it coincides with mostly Han and Leia bantering on the Millennium Falcon while they're stuck inside a an asteroid that is in fact a monster, mm. an alien. I- and so those two, yeah. that whole section, even though it's got some great lines and pretty shots and stuff, is is just a little bit too kind of slow and uh, and there's a word I'm looking for. I can't think of uh, it. Not engaging. Meandering is is lyrical. Not uh, the right thing starts with M. Uh, anyway, it's it's a little bit too slow for me. Mm. That part, yeah. and it's not. And and the thing is, you got these great sort of action sequences at the beginning of the end and the end of the movie and the whole middle part is just i don't know it's just kind of slow right I so guess. a slightly slow second act it's not the worst yeah. scene in movie making history and it certainly doesn't no. ruin the film oh no but yeah I, I also got the sense with um han and leia that this time around they were almost trying too hard with the screwball stuff like it was really good there were some great little lines in there and they they're back and forth is great, but it's almost like they, so, some studio guy had given them notes after the first one, saying this is the best. This is one of the best bits of the movie. You need to keep keep that in. Yeah, they, they have this great chemistry, and the thing mm. is that they're providing sort of the counterpoint to the dreary force stuff, which has a few good moments, but is mostly just don't be bad, don't be bad, don't be angry, don't have emotions, don't go, don't to, the dark side. To, go to the dark side, dark side of the force, dark side of the force, that stuff. Mm-hmm. And so I think in, in counterpoint to that, they put in lots of Han and Leia being funny and then Chewie and C-3PO and R2 mm. uh, sort of having their little moments to en- lighten up things, uh, which I, I don't get me wrong. I really love this movie. Like through the whole movie, I kept looking up and going, "Look how great that is." Mm-hmm. But yeah, I really. I've had to hear her say, "Oh, it's so pretty. Oh, look at the teal and orange. Oh, it's so pretty." For like <laughs> two shot, hours, that silhouette of Darth and Luke up against the blue sort of smoke in the cloud city when they have a lightsaber fight. Yeah, where they the have end. the lightsaber yeah. fight is is one of the prettiest shots just ever. It is gorgeous i know you're not quite as visual as i am when it comes to not movies. quite but i do appreciate that it's pretty and i also really appreciate that um unlike star wars 1997 re-release which we watched a couple of weeks ago this one it seems to have been tinkered with a hell of a lot less yeah there aren't random creatures uh, chucked in that look silly anywhere like that they have touched up the um tauntaun and the other creatures not at the that beginning, much. but not a lot. And the, the special effects that they've added in haven't really – they're not as intrusive as no. they are in Star Wars. They're a lot more about ships. There's a lot of, mm. more of, you know, uh, vistas with ships in front of them and things like that, uh, the ships coming out of the 
the the smaller um, yep. what are they called? God, my brain is just not working. Starships? No, no, no. When they at the beginning, you know how they send out probes, the probes, probes. that come out yes. of the the destroyer and things like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, those are touched up. And mm. there's a Cloud City shot that's sort of inserted yeah. into there, but it's not quite. As they were. In, it's not as intrusive. But and also, I think they were effect shots to start with. So yeah. touching them up. Well, I don't is think kind of the okay. Cloud City one existed, but the probes uh, one would have, and okay, a few yeah. others. Yeah. Well, the, the probes in the, the ships and stuff. Yeah, that was already there. So it's it's it doesn't feel quite as tampered with or. But it also with. it holds up so well just visually in terms of like even just. Close-ups look beautiful. They're just mm. anyway, and it, re- well, it relies easy. on kind of old, old-fashioned or in-camera effects. Yeah, good lighting, amazing um, lighting, yeah, such good lighting, good lighting, uh, practical creature effects where necessary, mm. and only and and they all sort of part of the story. So there's not like extra random creatures wandering around the background or anything. Yeah, so it kind of it relies on the in-camera stuff. So you, yeah. it, I guess it doesn't need to be touched up as much because it was done well. In the beginning. Yeah. Uh, there's a lot of really – there's there's these other things that sort of amused me this time around, like the fact that the hyperdrive has its own subplot. They yes. can't fix the hyperdrive and that's its own subplot entirely. Like every single try- time they try to fix the hyperdrive, it fails. It's mm-hmm. like the uh, the autopilot of the Millennium Falcon. Yes. Because in every movie, you know, the autopilot or goes the, out. The, so or they have if, to fly if, it if this were a uh, sci-fi TV series, it would be the FTL drive, the faster than light drive i did just remember though the one kind of 1997 touch-up that is kind of grating boba fett has a new zealand accent because the actor who played him in the prequels has a new zealand accent he'd been cast by this at this point and so i feel really sorry there's like there was presumably an original actor whose name i saw in the end credits and have now forgotten. jeremy bullock oh i don't know something i'll get on imdb in a second find out but he's his whole performance his you can't see his face ever, so basically his whole whole performance, his voice performance, has been deleted. Yeah, and replaced with the well, actor he still who- has his physical presence. That's true. about all, Darth Vader. Um, the well, guy true. who uh, actually, Prowse, David yeah, Prowse. David Prowse got his face in the last movie, mm. but for the first two movies, he was just uh, a guy in a suit. Actually, I don't know that that is David Prowse's face at the end. David Prowse is in the suit, and I thought it was James Earl Jones is the voice. I thought it was a different guy who was. His- you know what? We'll have to resolve this argument offline and look it up. But I, I thought it was three different actors who played okay. Darth Vader in the well, original. Well, there's also movies. Hayden Christensen who's been inserted into, into Return the- of the Jedi, yeah. which we'll get to yeah. next movie. Yes. Uh, but, yeah, this one is – is I love Hoth. I love the space battle mm. on Hoth. I love the at-at vehicles oh, yeah, they're coming great. to get them, even though they are, you know, completely um, – they're kind of useless against really high-tech stuff like ropes. Mm. <laughs> um, <laughs> and, well, they're, they're great if you're shooting at them, but if you have ropes, they're screwed. It's like Smaug in The Hobbit. There's like a one spot underneath the tummy that you can get at. Yeah. They've all got uh, – yeah, well. That one weakness. That one that one fatal flaw. Yeah. Well, yeah, the Hoth stuff is is really good and really enjoyable. And it kind of – we come back – Really at, pretty. Really pretty. And we also get like – Awesome, brave princess Leia from the first movie. Well, princess I mean, she kind of lasts through the whole thing, but she she was so great in that first one, and I was what I really enjoyed when I watched it this time. So I was I liked her best on Hoth when she was like commanding the battle and commanding the yeah. troops and stuff. And she you also really get all there. the really cute romantic moments on mm-hmm. Hoth where Han has to go out and save Luke because Luke's been basically abandoned by everybody else because he's out too late, and and Han's like, no, I'm going to take a tauntaun and I'm going to go save my friend, and then I'm going to cut the tauntaun over. And make a fashionable sleeping bag for my friend. Yeah, but yeah, uh, it's just—it's so cute. I love their friendship. 
Mm-hmm. I, I like how that develops. And I like – actually, all of the relationships are great in this except Luke and Leia. Oh, I know. It's so it's awkward. It's so icky. Well, see, this is this movie. Very, very recently, Joss Whedon famously talked about The Empire Strikes Back as not ending properly because yeah. it was setting up for a sequel. And the Luke and Leia thing feels the same way. It's awkward Partially because we know what's going to happen in the next one, but also they knew what was going to happen in the next yeah, one. Yeah, you and can see that. And they're setting it up, and it's really awkward and weird. Yeah, it's the, the whole the kissing thing is so icky when you know mm. that they're setting it up that they're brother and sister, and they obviously know that by the end of the movie because Luke has his moment where he psych- psychically calls Leia to right. his side, uh, and so and then there's that shot at the end. But I agree with Joss Whedon that this movie doesn't end. It doesn't well, have an ending. No. Because there's no resolution for anybody. Well, and there's no, particularly there's no resolution for the Han Solo is encased in carbonite plot. Yeah, but there's no there's no resolution for anybody. No, uh, not, not really. The, the journey that Luke sets out on in the beginning of the movie isn't finished. Nope. The storyline for Leia, whatever that is, I think basically her storyline now is reduced to I'm in love with Han Solo, mm. uh, isn't resolved. Yep. Um, the storyline for Han Solo obviously isn't resolved, whatever that is as well. Mm. I, th- I think he's really, you know, reduced to I'm in love with Leia too, mm-hmm. to a certain extent. But nobody actually gets to their goal. Nobody mm-hmm. has a resolution. And that's not how a movie works. So this does sort of finish at the apex of this storyline. Right, exactly. Because it, it finishes with the big revelation about yeah. Darth and Luke and... No, mm. I am your father. No, no. I couldn't help giggling when he did it. It's just so his face during that moment is so funny. Oh, I know it's mean, but Annoying. it's true. It just makes me laugh. He's working now. hard. I know he Hold, is holding on. But I, the, my I'm problem sure with that scene is I've seen the photo of it with the mattresses underneath too many times. <laughs> yeah, clearly I spend too much time on Tumblr. But you know, whatevs. <laughs> um, I'm not sorry. Yeah, the the bits where I'm sitting there going, oh, no, he better hold on or he's going to fall into that matte painting. <laughs> but the matte paintings are some of my favourite parts. Yeah, because it's all part of the gorgeous visuals yeah. on this, the visual effects. Are the, there's a matte beautiful. painting of Cloud City that's just amazing uh, that I really love. But all this stuff on Hoth, like it's the same thing with mm. Narnia and all that sort of thing where where anything that's that white sort of snowy landscape tends to be really pretty. Yes. But there's something quite... The way that they used, like, smoke and lights and everything in this movie is so mm. clever and it makes it all look so beautiful and has it adds that fantasy element because Star Wars is is fantasy hard sci-fi things. rather than sort of being hard sci-fi, mm. you know. Yes, and absolutely. So, and it comes from a lot of fantasy mythology and I think that's shown really well in the visuals in this one. Mm. Uh, the other thing about this one is also that there's a lot more sort of – how do I say this? There's a lot more location action and things going on uh, that that's given more time. Yes. Like Tatooine wasn't really developed as a sort of location. It's just sandy. No. And it's not quite developed. Like, like it's sons. not given the same. I know, but it's not given the same sort of treatment as all the locations are here. I mean, we explore like whole different places of Hoth Yoda's and Dagobah. Place. Oh, Dagobah, that's right. Uh, Hoth and Dagobah and Cloud City are all <laughs> these very, very well-developed locations that yep. they've created. So I really like that. That's one of the things. This is the thing about Star Wars is that no matter how ridiculous things like the Ku Klux Klan snowtrooper looking 
the snowtroopers yes, who look st- like Stompers, Ku Klux Klan like, yeah. members. It's just, just weird. Mm. And, and the silly things like, why do they have snowtroopers? That's just dumb. Why don't they just have normal stormtroopers? Well, given that stormtroopers wear white anyway. I know, but with some like warmer clothes. Yeah. <laughs> it's just sort of like, they, they, do they have to have a stormtrooper for every occasion? Apparently yeah. they do. You know, stormtroopers are in plastic suits. How is that not warm? They could have climate control in there. I know. Oh, dear. But it's just to make them look, it's uh, sort of to have yeah, something that looks It's like they cool. have a winter uniform. I, I understand. That's the thing is that they create all of this world and that sort of thing. So even when mm-hmm. there's silly things like that in there, there's still so many wonderful beautiful things to enjoy yeah and then that in itself is part of the world building somebody yeah. has made the call that the uh the empire is such a big military organization that there are winter uniforms <laughs> and a particular lot of troops who work on the winter planet and yeah i kind of was amused by my revelation during this one that the way that you can tell that it's the evil empire is because they all have really really posh snobby british mm, accents <laughs> that was great and then the rebels are all like these laid-back americans yeah Mm. Yeah, there's definitely some sort of civil war type stuff going on. Revolutionary there. war, kind of. Yeah, revolutionary like, war is that? That's the one against the British. The civil yes. war was the one against themselves. Yes, that's right. Yeah, sorry. No, that's all right. I oh, I always think um and also the um, Darth Vader ship I should know in that. this. I love Firefly. I don't even know what it's called. I wanted to call it the Vader Prize, but it's not <laughs> called that. Well, the Destroyer, we're, isn't it? The, the Destroyer. You asked me this it's like I'm going to know the destroyer the that, that. That, that Leia says right. it at some point. So this ship, um, we actually are introduced to it really beautifully. Kind of, you, we get it. We get the sense of it. Um, it's obviously it's not the Death Star, and they haven't rebuilt the Death Star yet. But we get the sense of it as um, quite a specific vehicle attached to Vader and his people. Isn't and that the looks- one that comes overhead in the first movie? Me, because you've got the little the little rebel ship in yep. front, and then there's a great big ship that comes all the way over. That was the big sort of impressive Perhaps special it effect. Is. Where and I, I was going with it, the same. Sorry, I was going somewhere. Is it to me? It looks like a yacht. Yeah, and so it makes almost perfect sense that it's staffed by this really, really plummy posh British crew. But and that's the thing. Darth you Vader also have rich people because you also have in the first one. I'm blanking on his name, even though I said it about 20 times in the last podcast. Uh, the guy who played Van Helsing, oh, Peter Cushing. Right. You also yeah. have Peter Cushing in the first one who has mm-hmm. that whole posh British thing. Yes. They had there's con- a couple continuity. of Americans sort of in there. Right. But there's this sense that all of the the bad guys are British, except, of course, Vader's not. Mm. But all the bad guys are British and all of the good guys are these Americans, except yeah. for, you know, Vader's a couple Vader's not here British, but... Um, James L. Jones' accent is very sort of posh refined. and refined. Yeah. And, yeah. But there's also it's also deeper and a little mm. bit sort of grittier, I think, than right. most of the voices that you're hearing mm-hmm. around him. Yeah, whereas your rebels are all quite gritty and, you know, the yeah. plucky little American heroes. Yeah. I think it's a – I mean, it's Especially probably, with Han Solo, who's a cowboy. Mm. I mean, it's probably good to do with something of the time it was made in that kind of – Cold War, much closer to the end of the Second World War, kind of American exceptionalism idea was a lot, probably a lot bigger around that time. Yeah, I think there's that sort of feeding into it. I think. I think you can see even with Firefly and things, although Firefly sort of mm. was inspired by this idea of Han Solo, you know, having his own show basically. Yeah. But you can continue to see revolution. The Revolutionary War was a really huge influence on a lot of American entertainment and pop culture and things. Yes. I mean, it continues to be an influence on all of them where even with uh, with 
Sleepy Hollow, which is on now, mm. which I saw the pilot of last week, and it's great. I, I um, You told me about Sleepy Hollow last night, which is this new TV show. Yeah. I realized I'd actually already seen some GIFs from it on Tumblr. <laughs> yeah. So clearly it's that kind of show. Yeah. Uh, so, but it is, it's really, you mm. know, campy and fun, but that's also got the Revolutionary War in it. Mm. I think the the Revolutionary War and the Civil War are such a huge, continue to be such a huge influence on their pop culture because it, the Revolutionary War in particular shows the ideals of American culture. And liberty and freedom. Yeah. And, yeah. and freedom from oppression and freedom for those little, standing up, Brits. The little guy standing up against the... Yeah. The, the big bad empire. Exactly. So I think that that's sort of – but I, I, I never noticed it as an influence in Star Wars until this movie. Mm, mm. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, it's it's kind of interesting because, you know, no, I didn't actually think about it too much either. But then, you know, I'd, had, I've had it's been years since I watched this one. so it was Well, it hasn't been that long for me, but I only noticed that particular influence in this viewing. And maybe it's just because I've read more about – in particular, Firefly, huh. and therefore the Revolutionary War, because that's how I know about things, is if Joss Whedon talks about them. Then you need to do some research on them. Yes, exactly. It's all right. I, I, I that's now how have... I started, wa- started watching both Veronica Mars and Battlestar Galactica. Do, well, because of George R. R. Martin, I now have an excellent knowledge of like Middle Ages and War of the Roses era Britain and Henry VIII and stuff. So... <laughs> Fandom, yay! Literally everything that I know about anything I've learnt from TV and movies. Mm. Everything. Otherwise it doesn't stick. But yeah, uh, we should get back to Star Wars. Yeah, indeed. I I don't really know what much else to say. I mean, it's... We did really enjoy it. There were some funny little observations this time about things like noticing that R2-D2 is really a cat. <laughs> yes, he is because he keeps he makes little cat noises and he's really curious and he goes poking around places and then bigger things sort of swat him out of the way and he's like, ah! And he gets terrified. <laughs> yeah, he's also not really one to take commands from humans. No, no, he's very independent. I mean, he'll stick with Luke for certain things, but then the rest of the time he's like, I'm going to go see what this does. <laughs> So yeah, he's he's a bit of a cat in that way, and Chewie's a dog. Yeah, and you you you're making Twitter jokes about all the bromances, Chewie <laughs> and Luke, and Chewie and C three PO, and Chewie and R two. Yeah, but really, he's just a a big old puppy dog. Yeah, he's just loyal to all of his friends. Yes, so that was that was a fun observation. I think I think this sort of loses that that perspective of. Um, R2-D2 and C-3PO's perspective on things. Mm, that was that, really that was a, the first one. Yeah, mm. um, because of the Japanese film that that inspired mm. the idea of those characters, um, seeing the war from their point of view. And so I think it may be lost a little bit from that. Because they were When you up. shift to Luke's point of view, because Luke is still kind of whiny in this mm. and it, it's just he's not – Yeah. It's still not my favourite. I was much less impressed with Yoda this time around. I know – that's Aww. I know that's he's full of great lines and stuff, but I um I don't know I think perhaps I got it maybe it I dragged a little in the middle I yeah we did talk about that yeah because I some of it almost it almost passed me by all his fabulous quotable quotes like he's you know do or do not there is no try and, and luminous beings are we not this crude matter yeah isn't that beautiful it is beautiful it's that's so the beautiful. thing is that. But then he – see, I actually really love the introduction of Yoda when I he's – I have that on my notes. <laughs> when he's testing Luke's patience and kindness mm. and tolerance and Luke is clearly not up for it yet. Uh, mm. But at the same time, you've got to remember that Luke in this movie is like, what, 
1920, right. still a very young man, mm-hmm. still somebody who is not, you know, hasn't hasn't really developed that kind of patience and he hasn't been taught it either. No. Yeah, yes. Well, they do say he's too old to start Jedi training because you're supposed to start when you're young. Although, I'm thinking about that, I'm thinking, well, surely, you know, wouldn't wouldn't you want to wait till you've got a bit more maturity? Anyway, I'm, I'm not going to question their recruiting policies. I, that We could be here all night if we start thinking about that. I don't know. Being a Jedi seems really boring. Well, it's it's meant to be like going to the priesthood. It's You're so even boring. supposed to be celibate. It just why would you want to be a Jedi Knight? I it's all and, you and great you power? seem to have but that's the thing is that you seem to sort of just be born with this power and then you either become evil by, you know, being Easy. human at yeah. any at any point in your life mm. or become a good guy by constantly keeping yourself in control and having no urges and no passions and no interests. Yeah, who'd want to and be a so Jedi? I'm sort of sitting there like, well, why? And the other thing is, why aren't there more evil Jedi? Anakin mm. goes into the dark side essentially by being in love. Yes. There's also some anger management issues there. But it seems like – Control issues too, yeah. <laughs> they're, they're saying that the reason that he beca- went into the dark side is because he loved Luke's mother, whose name is Padme. Mm. It seems like they're saying that he went into the dark side because he loved Padme. And you're like, so they can't fall in love. So how does anybody mm. – A – become born a Jedi. Yeah. Because it's passed down clearly genetically. And B, how are there so many good Jedi still? Because surely they'd all be in love at some point. So maybe all the bad Jedis are off reproducing. So they're not bad so much as dudes who like to have sex. (laughs) And they're happy because they're getting laid. I know. It really does seem to be boring. I don't really understand the appeal of of never having any fun ever. And that was the thing in the, I think in the prequels, those dreaded, dreaded prequels. I seem to remember that. It's okay, we don't that, have to watch them, Katie. I won't. I make seem you. to remember that Anakin and Obi Wan had this wonderful bromance to last through the centuries. But uh, mm. but they there's this sort of influence where Anakin keeps being fun. Yeah, <laughs> and <laughs> and Obi Wan is like. I want to have fun, but I can't have I fun because I'm very serious and I'm a Jedi. But then there's this sort of like pull where he's like, but it is kind of fun being a Jedi. And so I'm wondering about that now. Mm. (laughs) Who knows? The only fun Yoda seems to get is messing with Luke's mind. Yeah. Mm. And that's the thing is that Yoda seems like he's kind of a fun character, but then you realize Mm. that all the things they say about being a Jedi and you're like, that that can't be fun. Anyway, um, we're actually kind of close to time anyway. Are we at? Half we an hour are, or are we indeed. Over? We have talked over half an hour. Yeah. I could probably talk about the movie more, like all the metaphors for um, you know that 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 scene where he cuts off Darth Vader's head and it's Luke's head, Luke's face uh, in, in, in the in the, the training, helmet, yeah. and you're like, it, it really is it, metaphors one hundred and one for. I mean, they subtle, are kids is movies. It? I think, but but the metaphors in it are aimed at that kind of level, not right. at an adult level. I think. It's not a bad scene, I don't think. No. Uh, it is a heavy-handed metaphor, but I think it's a perfectly sort of pitched metaphor for the kind of age group that would be watching this. Right. Just like sort of the, the love affair between Han and Leia is a really good sort mm. of pitch for that age group where they're just kind of coming into that idea of attraction and things. Yeah, and teasing each other. And, and teasing each other and, you and, know, yeah. I love you, I know, which is still one of the great sort of oh. li- uh, great great ad libs because that's oh, is a, that really yeah that's a, that's a Harrison Ford ad lib there oh he's the best because of course in the in the script 
which I think this was one of the George Lucas lines, was, I love you, I love you too. And then Harrison Ford was like, he wouldn't say that, so he went, I know. And then this is kind of spoilers for you for the next movie, but then the next one, of course, you've got Han Solo saying to Leia, I love you, and she's like, I know, because she's also (laughs) a badass. Yeah. So they have this really equal kind of relationship, which Mm. is great. Like, she doesn't... He has a lot of respect for her, I think. Yeah. Even though there's that sort of flirty kind of banter where I think he's trying to pull her down a peg because she's the princess and she sort of always thinks she's above him. Mm -hmm. But then he also has respect for her and she kind of begrudgingly develops this respect for him because she realizes that he really is a good pilot and stuff. Um, And also, who wouldn't have a crush on Harrison Ford? Look how cute he is in this movie. Oh, he was so cute. God, he's so attractive in this movie. I mean, I'm still more of an Indiana Jones sort of girl. Well, I'm thinking of – all I'm – seeing is your t-shirt which is actually mal reynolds yeah i know and i'm yeah. just like mm, captain tight pants it's hello a, it's one of my sleep t-shirts because i like to say that i'm sleeping with the captain tonight <laughs> this is a print by jason palmer mm. who's an artist um he does a lot of fan like sci-fi sort of stuff fan art. and he also fan art and he also yeah. uh, i've got a print by him that say a fire a serenity print but also an indiana jones print I probably should wind up the show because I think we've talked for way more than half an hour. But then I've suddenly I remembered while you, yeah, and while you were talking through the great ad libs, I was thinking there's just great lines in this movie. Yeah. It's so quotable, and I know as much as I said, oh, I think some of the screwball is over the top. All the lines they flying back and forth at one another are magnificent, yeah. and even other people's lines like Vader and his, "I'm altering this deal. Pray I don't alter it any further," and just <laughs> all that kind of stuff. You know better than to trust a strange computer. Like, it's <laughs> no taking candy from strange computers. Yeah, mm. uh, there's there's something about the simplicity of Star Wars that, like, these lines are very simple lines, yeah. but they're really sort of a clever simple. I wrote down what well, in this these notes that I have then, then didn't transfer properly. I wrote down every single thing that people call Han Solo in this movie because mm. they're all really clever. Yeah, every, and they're every all insult sort of, that gets flung his way. It takes so much charisma to do what he does in mm. these movies uh, yeah. to create that role and everything. I mean, we talk about the other characters and how I think Carrie Fisher is also terrific. She is great. Uh, I think Leia is a great character, but nobody – can command the screen like Harrison Ford can in these mm, movies. Mm. And all he has to do is make a face. Yeah, he really is great. So I think uh, it's safe to say we, we like this one. Yeah, of course. Should I even ask you for a star rating? I would say four and a half stars. Mm-hmm. I, th- I think I gave the first one four, so I think I have to give this one four to be consistent. I gave the last one five, didn't I? Uh, Surely I, I gave Star Wars five. you did. That, 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 that must I think be you right. Did. I think you did. <laughs> I think for both of us, it's a, we love it. We just don't quite love it as much as we love the first one. Yeah. Kind of rating. But but anyway, The Empire Strikes Back is what we've watched this week. Thank I you know. very much for listening to Silver Screen Queens. We're going to get in so much trouble for not liking it as much as the first one. Wow, I don't really care. <laughs> <laughs> I've got to tell film people. Film geeks everywhere. No, not I film also geeks. don't like geeky, Citizen Kane. Geeky fanboys. No, you. they're two different groups you're going to piss off but it's okay because you have Joss Whedon on your side thanks Joss you're my favorite but anyway I should tell the people about our website and stuff which is silverscreenqueens.com our tumblr which is new this week which we've just set up because there just isn't enough room for all the Hiddles references we want to make in this podcast (laughs) we have a tumblr which is tumblr.silverscreenqueens.com Katie reviews movies like you know in writing as well as in talking on her blog which is silverscreenqueen.wordpress.com we have a twitter 
at screen underscore queens. We have a Facebook page, which you can like and then send us messages and stuff at as well. And requests if there's a movie that you think we should review. Definitely do that. Send us requests. Thank you very much for listening to the Silver Screen Queens podcast. We hope you enjoyed The Empire Strikes Back as much as we did. (laughs) Bye. Good night.